In my day job, I do social work with teenagers who are on probation in North Minneapolis. And each evening of, pro of programming, we get catered meals from another North Minneapolis nonprofit called Breaking Bread. And true to its name, they give us a lot of meals that involve bread. They give us uh, a lot of sloppy joes and a lot of tacos. And we get tons and tons of tortillas and hamburger buns. And each time we get one of these meals, I'm always like, we already have a ton of tortillas and hamburger buns left over from the last time we got sloppy joes and tacos. So inevitably, you know what happens. We can't tell the new ones from the old ones. And somebody grabs a bun and it's like, ew, it's got mold on it. And every time that happens, I am reminded of two things. I'm reminded of Jesus pray, teaching his disciples to pray for our daily bread. We need daily bread. And I'm reminded of the story where that phrase daily bread comes from. The, the story of the children of Israel in the wilderness and God providing for them with daily bread, the manna from heaven. Now Jesus and this story from Exodus are both teaching us that God is a faithful provider. Um, does that mean that we never lack anything? Of course not. We lack things at times. It means that we can trust that God will provide, that God will be at work providing for us, behind the scenes, so to speak. That God is always up to something, even when we can't tell, even when we don't realize it. Like the time when we were living in New Orleans and I was serving on staff at a Christian community center and we were serving families and youth in this under-resourced neighborhood and we made next to nothing, made like no money and one month we really had no clue how we we're gonna make ends meet. Uh, but we were part of a very small, loving church community and our pastor uh, was super sensitive to the Holy Spirit and loved us a ton and one, one day um, that week, our pastor showed up at our door and he said that he had sold the family's old conversion van and uh, God told him to give us the profit from the sale. And I don't remember the exact amount of, the, of money, but I remember, how much was it? Okay, but it, I, I, all I remember is that it was exactly how much we needed. And so it was our daily bread. It was what we needed in time and it felt like it fell from heaven. We're in a series right now uh, called Time to be Human, about Sabbath rest. And when we're contemplating God's faithfulness, when we're contemplating how God is a faithful provider, we are empowered to move forward into the future. We are empowered to not fear the future, but to embrace the future. Knowing that God is going to be there with us along the journey, we can resist that fear. We can even rest. We can have the faith to rest in the midst of that uncertainty. So we've been talking about in this series Sabbath rest in a lot of different ways. We've been talking about how Sabbath rest is more than self-care, more than self-comfort. Um, we've been talking about how it's entering into of the divine rest. How this command in scripture to keep Sabbath connects to God's rest as God's reign in the world. As God reigns over the world as God's cosmic temple. We've talked about how keeping Sabbath connects to our calling as image bearers of God. 
Our purpose to represent God by caring for creation and being conduits of creation's praise. This week, I want to change things up a little bit. And I want to I approach the theme of Sabbath from this angle. Sabbath is a, a means of resistance. And I want to talk about how these two themes in Scripture help us think about Sabbath as resistance. The themes of abundance and scarcity. We're going to see that rhythms of Sabbath rest flow from a worldview of abundance. They empower us with faith to resist the fear of scarcity, and they invite us to join in God's generous hospitality. So we're going to hear from a couple passages, one from the Gospel of Matthew and one from the book of Exodus. But before we do, could we pray this prayer for the illumination of the Holy Spirit together? I'm going to put it on the screen. Can we pray this together? Gracious God, we do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth. Make us hungry for this heavenly food, that it may nourish us today in the ways of eternal life, through Jesus Christ, the bread from heaven. Amen. So let's start with um, these words of Jesus from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added, will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Many of these words are familiar to us. Uh, we've heard these words before. But if we're honest... These words of Jesus probably strike a lot of us as kind of irresponsible. If we're honest, maybe naive a little bit. I've heard it said that Jesus sounds a bit like a hippie in this passage. And it's kind of true. When I read these words, I hear a voice in the back of my head saying, you know that's not really how the world works, right? Doesn't Jesus know that I have student loans to pay back? Doesn't Jesus know that by the time I'm 65, I need to have hundreds of thousands of dollars saved up in my 401k so I can comfortably retire? Doesn't Jesus know I got bills to pay and mouths to feed? I think we all know Jesus knows that, right? Jesus knows that. But Jesus also knows that we need to hear these words because they challenge us to trust that God is reigning over the world as a generous host. 
The creation story in Genesis depicts a God who has created a world that has everything humanity needs. The world is a place of abundant resources, thriving, flourishing place that is replenished by the wise care and tending of humanity. The worldview that Jesus was immersed in, out of which his way emerges, is one that teaches that God is a generous provider of abundance. But that is not the worldview that you and I are immersed in every day. We're immersed in the worldview that says resources are actually quite scarce. And you've got to make sure you secure your piece of the pie. We've absorbed a worldview that says there's not enough to go around. And so somebody is inevitably going to have lack. Make sure it's someone else's kids. Haven't we absorbed a worldview that says we live in a dog-eat-dog world? Haven't we absorbed a worldview that says this is a survival of the fittest kind of world? Recently I heard a sort of modern-day parable about abundance and scarcity. It goes like this. Imagine you've been invited to a ginormous mansion owned by a billionaire for some kind of auspicious party. Think like Great Gatsby. And it's a black tie affair. Everyone's dressed to the nines. And everywhere you look, there are swag bags and goodies. Tons and tons of food. It's better than backstage at the Oscars. And not only that, there's like food on the tables, but there's people walking around with platters of food, endless amounts of food. Now, imagine that there's a group at this party, and they start gathering up the gifts and gathering up the food and plates, and they go and they lock themselves in a room of the mansion. The rest of the guests are looking at them quite confused, and they're going, uh, what, what just happened? So they go and they knock on the door, excuse me, what are you doing in there? And the group inside says, go away, there's not enough gifts or food for everyone, so get your own. So some people overhear this and they say, oh, there's not enough, there's not enough gifts, there's not enough gifts, there's not enough food. So they go and they, they start gathering up gifts and food, and they go and lock themselves in a different room. So you're still confused, and you're like, I, I got to find out if this is true. So you go and you seek out the host. Is it true that there's a limited supply of food and gifts? And so we should be storing up all that we can get and, and go and lock ourselves in a room? And the host just laughs. That's ridiculous. This is just a small portion of all that I have in store for my guests. I've got more than enough food and gifts for everyone to have as much as they want. The guests who hold themselves off from the party, hoarding food and gifts, believe that the resources are scarce. And that's why they act in a defensive, protective way to ensure their own safety and well-being. But the party is amply supplied, and the host is generous. The truth is that there's more than enough for everyone. Now, it's completely natural for us to feel the threat of scarce resources. It's completely natural for us to seek the security and safety and well-being of our loved ones. Not only is it completely natural, we could probably all wax poetic and philosophical about how it's realistic and reasonable and mature, right? We've all done the math. We can count the beans and add up the, the balance sheet in our lives. 
But then along comes Jesus, and Jesus' question is, will you trust me? Jesus challenges the worldview that we've absorbed with a better one. Jesus paints a picture of a world in which we don't have to worry because we can trust that behind the scenes there is a generous, loving, hospitable host. And Jesus invites us on a journey of faith. Jesus says to us, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. I've told you before, I really love how Eugene Peterson paraphrases this passage in his, his uh, translation, which is a paraphrase called The Message. Eugene Peterson paraphrases this like this. Come to me, get away with me, and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. I love that. Healthy rhythms of Sabbath rest for followers of Jesus flow from a worldview of abundance. The worldview that you and I are immersed in every day produces the fear of scarcity. But Jesus calls us into a new way of seeing the world. Jesus calls us to see the world through the eyes of faith. Jesus calls us to trust the God of the universe, the God through whom Jesus reveals his self-giving love is the generous host with abundant resources. Now, I'm not saying this is easy. I know personally how difficult this task can be. See, I, I grew up desperately poor. Sing, only child of a single schizophrenic mother. I stole as a kid, stole food. I sold drugs as a kid, as a teenager, to make money. For most of my childhood, I was food insecure. Didn't know where my next meal was coming from. Sometimes we were on food stamps. Sometimes we had to go to the food pantry. I was shopping at Aldi's when it was not cool to shop at Aldi's. Do you remember that? Now it's cool. And I'm like, wow, where was that at when I was a kid? Did you know you could get the dented cans for even more of a discount? So I know that it's not easy to believe Jesus when he says that God is a generous a God of abundance. In fact, even as an adult, I, I've never really been that all that well off. Uh, our family's not all that well off. In some seasons, we've uh, had to scrape by, and uh, we're not all that well off now. So I'm as challenged by Jesus' words today as I've ever been. But I'm also as convinced now as I've ever been that if I'm going to take Jesus seriously then I have to take seriously Jesus' call to trust in the provision of God. To trust that God is a generous host. And so there's a battle within me. And I think there's a battle within most of us. Between believing in the generous, loving, providing God and entrusting ourselves into God's care or turning back out of fear to a sense of self-preservation and resource hoarding our second text this morning is an illustration of this. I think it perfectly uh, illustrates this battle within us. Israel has been liberated from slavery in the empire of Egypt through powerful signs that God performed. 
to demonstrate God's superiority over the gods of Egypt and to get Pharaoh to relent and let God's people go. But this results in Israel embarking on a journey that requires faith into unknown territory. So we're going to pick up the story in Exodus chapter 16, starting in verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You ever, you ever know people like this? <laughs> Am I the only one? Some people want to question whether uh, the Exodus story is even, even real, even historically accurate. But I, I think this story proves that it's accurate. Because this is human nature, right? Human nature is you've been in desperate circumstances, begging God to liberate you, and then you get liberated and you start waxing nostalgic about the place of bondage. Right? We do this. This is us. At least back in Egypt there was food to eat. You were in slavery. They fed you to keep you alive so you could make bricks. <laughs> That's why there was food. Now you're free and you're complaining. Okay, so if we are not intentional about living into this worldview of abundance, the fear of scarcity can have us running back to our bondage. Thank you. I got an amen from my wife. But God has called us on a journey of faith and has promised to provide. So, so picking, back, picking the story back up in verse 11, the Lord says to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them at twilight you will eat meat and in the morning you'll be filled with bread. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God. That evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is it? For they did not know what it is, what it was. Moses said to them, It is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tent. So the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. You see that? Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. Now, what, what, I, what, I, what I see here in this text is the beginnings of the connection between the worldview of abundance and equitable community. Just community. This is where the groundwork begins to be laid of the laws in the Torah that ensure that Israel is a nation that is responsible for the most vulnerable members of society. This is where the groundwork is beginning to be laid where the laws come in that protect widows and orphans and foreigners against discrimination and against uh, being taken advantage of, exploited. Here in this passage, we begin to see that God is forming a new kind of community. A kind of community where every human being is treated with dignity and equity. Later in the Torah, there will be laws about this and customs will develop around this. Like, for example, the custom of gleaning. Anybody familiar with gleaning? 
Gleaning was the command in Torah not to harvest the corners of your fields, but to leave them to be harvested by those who have fewer resources. This is just one example of the ways that Israel was being formed by God into a just society. We could see the connection here between the worldview of abundance and the value of justice. Sisters and brothers, I've got to pause here and I, I need to say something that's going to, you know, it, it, may, it may sound a little out of left field, but hang with me for a second, okay? In this country, we are often bombarded with narratives that immigrants and refugees are a threat to our way of life. And that worldview breeds the fear of scarcity. The domestic terrorist who murdered 22 human beings in El Paso had this worldview. Was saturated in the fear of scarcity. He believed an ideology called the Great Replacement. That white people in America were going to be replaced by Latinx immigrants and refugees. And that ideology is 100% rooted in the worldview of scarcity and fear. In fact, the alt-right marchers in Charlottesville chanted, Jews will not replace us. There are principalities and powers in this world that are fueled by the fear of scarcity. And they breed violence and systemic oppression. The fear of scarcity is a powerful weapon that the enemy uses to destroy our faith in God and to divide and conquer us. We need to be formed in such a way that we are empowered to resist those narratives, to resist the fear of scarcity. And that is where Sabbath comes in. Sabbath is a way of forming us in a new worldview. Watch this. Picking up the story in verse 19. Then Moses said to them, No one is to keep any of it until morning. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. But it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Each morning, everyone gathered as much as they needed. And when they, the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much. Two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. Verse 23. He said to them, this is what the Lord commands. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest. A holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake. Boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until the morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded. And it did not stink and it did not get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will, be, there will not be any. This practice of Sabbath is first instituted right here in the Exodus story. As God is forming Israel into a new kind of community, a just society, right there in the midst of this, he gives them a practice that forms them into a worldview of abundance and out of a worldview of scarcity. Healthy rhythms of Sabbath rest empower us with faith to resist the fear of scarcity. This past week, 
I listened to a fantastic episode of a podcast that I like called Hidden Brain, and I highly recommend you, you listen to this, this whole episode. Uh, the episode is called Tunnel Vision. And the episode is about a phenomenon in the human brain that is the response to the fear of scarcity. The human brain is wired to respond to scarcity by tunneling in on the thing that it doesn't have. So this effect is called, appropriately so, tunnel vision. A hungry person's brain is aware of the scarcity of sustenance. So researchers say that in, in, in the episode that a, a person's brain who's hungry is like alarms are going off in their brain. Their brain is saying, do you know we're hungry? Did you realize we're hungry? Hey, we're hungry. And it just keeps calling out to you. And in, this, in this, the scarcity alarm effect can happen as a result of any fear of scarcity. So researchers have quickly found a similarity between that hunger response alarm and the response to poverty. So these researchers discovered a way to test the effect of scarcity and abundance on the brain. The perfect test population are sugarcane farmers in India. And the reason why is because sugarcane farmers in India are the same population who experience abundance and lack in one year. Because they get paid once a year. And so this is what, it's, this is what they said in the, in the episode. They said, the results were stunning. We found a huge difference. We found that post-harvest, when they were well off, they have much more impulse control. Farmers who were rich tended to think about things that, that would help them over the long term. This matched other research that shows, for example, that farmers who are well off tend to weed their fields more regularly than farmers who are poor. Farmers who are poor mostly focused on how to make it to next week, short-term thinking. To be clear, it's not that poor people focus on immediate needs because that's what they want to think about. It's all they can think about. Scarcity, listen to this, scarcity captures the mind. In fact, scarcity can actually lower how you perform on an IQ test. This episode ended with this amazing story about a woman named Katie who's a resident at a hospital and she worked so hard that she neglected her life outside of work. She even neglected her own health. And it got so bad that she was afraid she was going to make a, a mistake that would really lead to someone getting hurt. So she, she actually reported herself and checked herself into a residential treatment program. As I listened to her describe the wisdom that she gleaned from her experience, I couldn't help but hear the wisdom of scripture and of Jesus calling out to us. So I, I want us to just listen to this part of the episode. Is that all right? Can we listen to a, a portion of this episode? It's just like three minutes long, but I think it's brilliant. Check this out. Katie's mind was filled with angry and ambition thoughts. At first I felt like, I felt useless because I thought, you know, if I'm not doing something productive, what is my purpose in life? But gradually, as the program literally forced her to do nothing, Katie started to emerge from the tunnel. She realized she had been so narrowly, relentlessly focused on one goal, doing well at work, that she ignored the very things she needed to succeed. Moments of relaxation, like watching TV, or in her case, painting. Katie had loved art as a child, but she had put it aside because she thought it wouldn't help her become a better doctor. 
wisdom it's like wink wink nudge nudge like I love it when modern researchers stumble across biblical wisdom it's amazing and this what this episode of hidden brain confirms is that rhythms of rest replenish our brains capacity but it also confirms that scarcity is a thief it steals capacity from us the fear of scarcity turns us into self protective hoarders and gives the powers a foothold in our lives to divide and conquer us. Sisters and brothers, God is forming us, Roots Covenant Church, into a new kind of community. A community in which we are following in the way of Jesus together. And this way of Jesus liberates us from the fear of scarcity. Jesus calls us to entrust ourselves to God as a generous host and a faithful provider. Jesus calls us to embrace the worldview of abundance out of which these, these rhythms of Sabbath rest naturally flow. When we as a community are living into this worldview of abundance, practicing healthy rhythms of rest, we will suddenly discover that we have more capacity to open ourselves up and be conduits of God's generosity. Imagine with me what it would be like among us what ministries would be generated? Imagine the care that we could provide for one another if we have healthy rhythms of rest. Imagine how this community could be a beacon of hope in a restless world. 
Let's pray. God, I'm so grateful for the wisdom that we find in the scriptures, in the Hebrew Bible, and in the teachings of Jesus. I'm so grateful for the ways in which Sabbath rest has rejuvenated my life, and I've seen the effect that it's had in my family's life and in others' lives. God, I pray that Roots Covenant Church would be a community that cultivates healthy rhythms of rest so that we might have the capacity to birth new, creative, exciting ministries, to care for one another in, in powerful, profound ways, and to be a witness, to be a light, a beacon in a restless world. God, I pray that we would embrace that worldview of abundance, that we would see God as a generous host. Give us the faith to resist the fear of scarcity so that the enemy has no foothold in our lives. We cannot be divided. We cannot be conquered. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen.